Hi, I'm Gary Cole, and you're listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. This podcast tells the story of Australia's men and women, the coaches that we entrust to help develop our players and our teams. We want to maximise the potential in those players, and that's a great segue into today's guest, Dr Craig Duncan. Um, in the good old days, would have been a sports scientist, but today uh, Craig is a human performance specialist, scientist, whatever we call it. We've called him a few things. I think I called him, <laughs> I think I used to call him the mad professor at Sydney FC when we worked yeah. together for a while. Craig is recognisable as one of our um, best known sports scientists in the background of sport. Worked with Sydney FC, won a championship there, worked with West Sydney Wanderers, won an Asian uh, Champions League there, worked with Ange and the Socceroos, won an Asian Cup there, worked with the New South Wales State of Origin Rugby League team, won a championship there, first one for nine years, um, and is working as a consultant, worked with um, uh, Iran, and I think made the semi-finals of the 2019 uh, Asia Cup. So well-renowned, well-known, uh, and a really, really good human being. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Craig. Uh, hi, Gaz. How are you? And thanks for that lovely introduction. Uh, you, de- you, you deserve it, mate. We, we really, really appreciate <laughs> it. This is a, a first. Obviously, this podcast is about football coaches, uh, and that means coaches that are involved in football. Um, initially, for me, that was all head coaches. And, and then in this wonderful um, thing that came to me a few weeks ago, we went, oh, there's actually goalkeeping coaches, and oh, there's strength and conditioning coaches, and there's human performance specialists. So mm-hmm. m- maybe let's start there. What, what, is, what is human performance management, specialising science? science? How, do you, how, how do you frame your life? Because you are a coach, I think. Would we agree that you're a coach? Yeah, look, I think initially I started out, you know, wanting to, to make players you know faster stronger uh, fitter as as much as possible to give them the best opportunity to maximize their potential and then i think over over time i realized that you know human performance is very holistic so it's much more than that it's mm. uh, there's a psychological and a physiological component to to what we do i i think i encapsulate what what i do very much that uh, you know i'm at service to the coach and the players and i see my job is to give the coach and the coaching staff uh, a well um, prepared player so they can work their magic uh, that's that's how i see it yeah. so if i think of the uh, the coach being the artist the painter i want to give him a or her a, a very fine you know landscape to be able to to achieve the magic with that art that they're going to create yeah. So that's how I see my job. Oh, thanks. I think it's a, a great explanation. Craig, you, you're built like a broom handle. You you still run. I know. I know you like. I've seen more fat on a butcher's pencil as a wise man once said. Um, you you did you play football? I know you love like me. You love football. You love basketball. Did you did you play football? You, yeah, yeah, very much in my. That was that was the game I played. I was a goalkeeper, um, and that's why you've always scared me. Um, and uh, and I. I had a, a, a decent junior career, you know, played for New South Wales through my juniors and then got to 16 and 17 and made my first grade debut in the in the state league. And, you know, I'd love to say what so many people say that an injury stopped me, you know, having this wonderful career. But the fact was, I just wasn't good enough. And uh, psychologically, I, I wasn't strong enough to to continue. So so that was that was that. Um, but still enjoy the game and and really thought, 
okay, well, how can I be involved in sport if it's not going to be as a as an athlete? Yep. And the way to do that is to either be a coach or in, in my case, it was to, to study and, and to be a sports scientist. Yeah. So unlike the football coaches coaches that work on the park for the players instead of in with machinery and feedback mechanisms and, and gyms the you go to university first you need a essentially a university degree to be able to get into sports science in, in in elite sport yeah look i think you know there's some people that have not done that and they're they've they've gone through another channel uh i think in in my my place yes i i you ne- I find that you need that basis and that education to be able to do this, you know, a holistic job very well. However, I I, I do see m- my work now has changed over the years. I'm not one that thinks a, uh, a person such as like a strength and conditioning coach or a fitness coach should really be too much on the pitch doing the work. I think that's a, you know, you might have a, a second assistant uh, yeah. coach that has an interest in the, in the conditioning side of things and they they might they might be the ones that i work with to actually um put out the best uh, stuff on the field but my yep. work is behind the scenes in that respect okay mm. how did you um did you go to university to get into coaching or did were you on that pathway of education in the area of sports science um and then got into the the football coaching side of this yeah look I, I think I I went to university because I had I just had a real interest in human performance yeah whether, and and that has stayed to this day whether that was with athletes whether it was with older people younger people or whatever I, yeah. I wanted to see people be physiologically and psychologically the best they could be and so that's why an initial undergraduate degree in sports science uh, at sport and exercise science is is a good way to do that because it gives you the foundations um then i from there i did postgraduate work and you know i was working at university and and then i i was delving into some research in in football and 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 then i just well you know got got right into it in respect to uh working day to day you know with with the athletes and that's yeah. you know that's over the years probably the last 20 years plus that's what i've been doing i still have an academic position at the australian yeah. catholic university where i'm a senior lecturer uh and then the consulting work we do you many strings to your bow today doc <laughs> yeah i have a uh, I, li- I like to i think by delving into different areas and you know i have a great interest in leadership and 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 just this whole concept of human performance in general, it makes me yeah. better in football yeah. as well, because you just have a wider wider view. I think sometimes we can get very narrow, narrow focused. And if we're not delving out into other areas, other sports as well, yeah. and how is our sport going to really press? Yeah, <clears throat> I think we might have had a little technical here up there. Um, Sydney FC, your first opportunity in the Hyundai A-League? Yes, uh, that's what I, I'd been doing some consulting work in the uh, the NPL with Sydney Olympic, and then I, I had an academic position, so I didn't really want to go full time into something. But the the challenge came up to to work with Sydney FC after they they hadn't had a great year the year previous yeah. uh, to where and I came in, and uh, so the opportunity came up, and I met with them, and and we took that on in uh, back in two thousand nine ten. How important to your journey was that first opportunity? 
I think it was was really important because it it took me back from you know being in an academic position where you think okay things can things can work one way yeah. and then getting and actually seeing it uh, firsthand that you know I, I think I learned a lot back in 2009 10 um, dealing with the coaches dealing with the players dealing with and bringing in a lot of new stuff that hadn't been really really done I suppose before and seeing yeah. okay how can that best be done in in the environment that we're in so it was was a, a good opportunity and it helped too that we won that year <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah winning winning is always a is always a good thing so in your time at, at Sydney FC you would have started with Vitislav Levitska yes I actually started when he first came in so it was a bit of a change then and, yep. and he, he'd come in and Tony Popovich was assistant coach and and Papa was a great support to to the work yep. um, that we were we were trying to bring in. He was he was a great support and had fabulous buy-in from the players such as John Aloisi, Terry McFlynn, Steve Corica. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it was a it was a really good opportunity. Dave Mason was there at the time, so had wonderful support. And and Vicha and and you know uh, was was just a very good human um, was. and a very a very very good person. So yeah. it was a good opportunity. Through that time, Vitislav transitioned into Crookie for, uh, unfortunately, only a short period of time, and then that into Frank Farina. Um, I can't remember exactly when you're... Was that the three coaches you had at Sydney FC? Yeah, um, uh, I think we had Steve Koreka for a little while That's after right. after Crookie, um, yeah. but it was very much the major major coach that I had was Vicha yeah. uh, in, into uh, Ian, and I'd worked with Crookie before because he'd been uh, an assistant yeah. in the in the past, and I knew him well. Uh, Steve I'd had as a player and had been an assistant, and then uh, Frank came in, um, I think late in two thousand and twelve. Yeah, yeah. The, the I'm wondering on the the coaching in general changes depend, depending on who's at the helm in our game quite often if a, if a head coach changes they will, particularly at the elite end of the game they will bring in their support team and structure mm. um, how, how did that and we expect that perhaps when people change clubs, but you, you were employed by Sydney FC, Vitislav brings you in to be a part of that, then he goes, Crookie comes, he goes, Frank Farini comes in. How do, you, how do you, how do people in that support staff role, how do you manage through that process? Look, it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult process. And I suppose as my career's go, gone on, I, I really advise clubs to be very uh, smart during this process. I've got, I've got no problem with coaches bringing in people. Yeah. Uh, I really don't to this day. If you want to uh, bring them in and you've known that person a long period of time, uh, that is okay. However, my concern with that is, and I've seen this on multiple occasions, Coaches have people that they bring in because they've known them a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, however, that doesn't necessarily mean that those people are, let me say, the best at their job. Yep. Okay. And so, but that's, I, I see that as okay because it might be there for a reason, you know, that they know how I work and that, that sort of stuff. I think from a club, you get to be very careful with that scenario. The reason being is I've never seen a coach pay the wages of a player. Yeah. 
So, and most of the time when a coach brings in staff, they don't go through in any in, uh, interview process or vetting process. Yeah. It's just, you know, I'm coming in. It's a non-negotiable that these people come in. Yeah. I, I advocate that a club should have a surveillance system around that, meaning that they should have their own people that they uh, know that are at a high competence level to be in there to advise the coach coming in and to protect their assets because remember players are assets absolutely now <clears throat> i've got no problem if i was working with a club and then that that coach brings in a fitness coach and and, and this has happened to me on multiple occasions and you you get sidelined a bit and your job changes no yep. issue with that that at all that's okay however this where uh competent people are then put out and then well, who's looking after the asset hmm. yeah. and you know there's been a number of times i've been in this situation and i could show you data of where the assets have been you know compromised by training philosophies that are not based on sound um scientific evidence yeah that's all okay if a club wants to operate like that but i don't think that's good business yeah. uh you know i i've always found it interesting because i'm a very loyal uh person and I've seen situations where coaches have brought people in that think they don't know me. Okay. But I can see that the people that they've brought in, it's basically just becomes an echo chamber, you know, and they're there because they're attached to that coach yep. and that's, they'll get the next gig because of that coach, but they might not necessarily be competent at what they do. And the coach doesn't realize it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a difficult and a fun, you know, you've got a lot of coaches listening to this and a, a lot of young coaches. Surround yourself with loyalty. I remember I had a great conversation <clears throat> with a, a very famous uh, coach in another, another um, sport and I was consulting them. And uh, he, he said, and I said to him, you know what? There's some problems with your staff. You know, uh, basically they're somewhat incompetent to put it nicely and and the way that they're conducting themselves is actually killing you as a coach and uh, he said yes craig but you know i've got to reward loyalty yeah. and i said yes that's okay but put them in positions where it's not going to compromise the performance of the players yeah. and the performance of you ultimately so i think as a coach you've got to be very very aware of that um, no problem with you um, bringing in people that you know and trust. The other thing is if I was advising a club how to do that, yeah. I would say, uh, okay, you've got a coach coming in. He wants to bring his own staff. I would say give them a fee and the coach pays them. Yeah. Because if they're not going to go, if they're not going to go through an interview process and, and a coach comes in saying it's a non-negotiable like even if a coach came in and said it's a non-negotiable i have craig duncan here yeah well how about you've got someone better than craig duncan already here why why am i going to do this yeah and say okay well if i'm going to pay you three million bucks um out of your salary you you pay craig duncan if you want him that much <laughs> i think coaches really need to i mean sorry i think clubs really need to rethink how yeah. they how they operate in this in this section yeah i don't know if that's unique to football but it's it certainly still an old-fashioned form of hiring and firing and particularly in the world of you know marginal in often cases marginal differences in the worlds of high performance where 
you know people are looking to get really small gains to make an overall difference um, and I guess that is because in, invariably it's it's loyalty but it, and the loyalty is based on trust over a, over a period of time mm. I think the other danger in there that came to mind when I was listening to you talking is if you surround yourself with everyone with, with a whole group of people that always agree with you it's not exactly a great environment for growth is it Oh, look, I think it's one of the major problems that I've seen uh, with with coaches. And again, if you're listening to this as a coach, I would say to you, if you've got an echo chamber around you, you know, to satisfy your own ego, you've got to check in with your ego. And if you want everyone to agree with you, uh, then you're not going to get to where you want to go. Um, and and I'd test them yeah. as well. I would test them. See, say something one day that's completely ridiculous and see if they say it back to you or they actually challenge you. Yeah. Because rather than an echo chamber, you want to surround yourself with a challenge network and are definitely people that you trust. Yeah. Okay, and what I mean by a challenge network is, look, I have a group of friends and you know, you're know you one of them. I would put something out to them and I know they're gonna, they've got my best interests at heart, but they're gonna tell me how it is yeah. rather than just agree with whatever I say. So if you're a coach and you want to test your staff, Okay, to see what you've got there, if you've created an echo chamber or if you're actually created with a mindset to take you yeah. and your team to a better level. Throw something out there and see what they come back with yeah. and then you'll know what you've got. Changing track a little bit, Craig, on your journey, you've worked with the coaches we mentioned at Sydney FC, you've worked with Popper and uh, achieved a remarkable outcome for Australian football winning that um, the uh, Australian Champions League. Um, you then worked with Ange and the Socceroos in the Asian Cup. Um, you worked with Bert Marwick at the World Cup. Um, th there's a whole bunch of different coaches there. There's a whole bunch of different egos there, different people that want to get on and do things. Who, which head coach has had the most impact on you and the way you do your job and why? Oh, I think I've learned from uh, I've learned from all of them. Look, I had a long relationship with Tony Popovich and and that was, that was really enjoyable. I learned so much off him, uh, of how to conduct myself around teams and, 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 you know, with players and what could work. And, you know, I might have a, a starry-eyed idea from a sports science perspective, but he would bring it back into, uh, into context as a player. Yeah. So he, he was so instrumental in really uh, taking that next step uh, to to really bring a scientific approach into into things that were done, yeah. Uh, so he had a he he had a great uh, impact impact on my um, on what we did. Uh, Ange was wonderful to work with as well. Um, <clears throat> look, I think Ange, from a leadership perspective, was 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 just outstanding. You know the way he conducts himself, high you know highly intelligent, well read. Um, again, he just inspired you to do your very, very best. I, I always knew that I would produce reports and, and, and that, that he would always go over them, yeah. you know, and, and read them, you know, point by point, as, as Popper would as well. Uh, and I just knew Ange was over there. And then discussions with him yeah. actually got me to, to stretch myself to create, you know, new algorithms or, or different things to give him the service that, that he required. So that was, that was an absolute joy uh, to work with Ange. I was, I, I feel very lucky about that. Uh, working with Bert Van Marwijk and the and the Dutch crew was, uh, uh, again, super enjoyable. Cultural differences, and understanding that, um, 
John Aloisi. Yeah. You know, I can't speak higher enough of John Aloisi uh, when we were uh, consulting into Brisbane Raw, Alan Stadgic, you know, all these people. But I think Carlos Kiros uh, working with Iran, that was... Yeah, that 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 was special because you know, with with his history mm -hmm. uh, that he had, just a fantastic man as well as yeah. all, all the people that I've mentioned. But he had stories to tell, and and the way he conducted himself, and the way he inspired this team, um, and and everything uh, that was that was a fantastic experience uh, as well. So I've been really fortunate, guys. Mm. Um, Des Hasler in another sport, yeah, you know. Um, so I think I've learned from every coach uh, and and that's that's helped me really to be better. But ultimately, it doesn't matter which coach I work with, my job is to serve them, yeah. to find out what they need, what they want, not to bring in my philosophy and this is the way it's done. Yeah. No, it's about understanding and interviewing them to see where I can make a difference to help help them. So on that, that's a, that's a great little segue here. I, I know when we're at Sydney FC, you also, one of the many tasks that you fulfilled there, you're also involved in game analysis, which is not necessarily <laughs> the, the bent of most sports scientists. So a little bit different. Obviously, you need to have an understanding of the game. Mm. Do you think that the more experienced the coach, the, the clearer they are, on what they want from you because the, the way I see sports science today and analysis and the advancement of technology that you know m maybe sports science used to be able to produce that and today it's like you know the, the data would be could be all-consuming I went to a, a sports technology <laughs> convention down here in Melbourne a couple of years ago and there was this game analysis tool that could produce you know an analysis of a game that was 230 pages long and I've never met a coach yet that could actually would be remotely interested in a report that was 230 pages long because they've got limited amount of time. And my guess is that those particularly experienced ones are going to have a very good understanding about one, how they want to play, how they want to go about doing that, and three, how what information that they need from you to enable that process to happen. Is that a, is that a fair assumption? Yeah, guys, you raise a good point, and I, I don't know if you're trying to get me into trouble or not. But uh, <laughs> look, and and I think the what will, what should we call it? The rise of the analyst. Yeah. Okay. And and I would then um, be very. Yeah, I think I could have a subtitle to that, but I think we need to be very very careful. Um, you know, I I know and understand data uh, ex extremely well. Yeah. I believe that most coaches. Uh, particularly in a lot of the work I do, they want to know one thing. Are my players good to go or are they not good to go? Mm -hmm. And if you see the reports that I compile, what they come down to at the end of, you see, I, I believe that data drives insight and insight drives intelligence. Yeah. My job is to give intelligence. And you know what? That intelligence could be, you know, Gaz, we're good to go. <laughs> That's, That's it. Yeah. This is what you've got for training. We're good to go. We're in our optimal performance zone. We're okay or we're not. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. My concern is that a lot of people produce wonderful sheets of data. Yeah. Now, can I say in respect to that data, we don't need a, uh, a person on site to do that. Some of the companies um, <clears throat> are very good at, at doing this. Like, 
you know, there's a there's a company I'm involved in. They're a world leader, and they produce fantastic reports. Yeah. They do it, okay. And then it's up to the analyst to probably take all that information down, like you said, the yeah. 25 pages of that report, and bring it down to a point about what are the key things. Yeah. I and it's interesting you go back to Sydney FC. When I was at Sydney FC, and when I came in. I was the strength and condition coach, the fitness coach, the sports scientist, yeah. the analyst. I did the nutrition. I did this. And what I did was I had external other people that I could go to that were specialists in that area. And that was one wage. Yeah. Okay. Now, how much money are we spending and are we getting a better service? Yeah. Like, you know, part of, and particularly with cost cutting and the part of my company, what we do is we outsource a lot of this. Yeah. And I, I know what we can do. <laughs> and uh and to give superior intelligence yeah rather than the analyst who by the way i think that person a hundred percent should be a coach yeah i'm sorry that that that's where our up-and-coming coaches isn't a coach an analyst well that, shouldn't a coach be an analyst? So. yeah yeah and so rather than having uh someone uh, sitting outside that i think I can teach you the technology. The technology is not tough. You should then know what the coach requires, what the game plan is, and to produce the data that's required. Yeah. Look, if you do not use the data, don't collect it. Yeah. You know, and and I think people get very fancy and uh, about it. And uh, there's a there's an you know what they say if you if you confuse people with a whole lot of numbers, then it looks like you're really employable, doesn't it? Well, uh, th that's certainly a part of it. M my guess there is um, the longer that you've been in the role of a head coaching job, the clearer you are likely to be about what information, what data is important to you, as you sometimes go to me, are we good to go? It can be, it could be that simple. The challenge might be for a, you know, a new coach, one of the, one of the fantastic things about the A-League this year and, the, you know, the COVID, the, all the things that's happened with COVID, it, we've seen an increase in the number of young Australian coaches in charge for mm. the first time in teams. Um, mm. That's been a blessing mm. with the players because they know a lot of the young Australian players and have given more youngsters a chance. What they don't have is a whole bunch of head coaching experience. So they come in um, and can be bombarded with the amount of information about, and probably the bigger the club, the more money it's got, the more, the more information they can be bombarded with. Whereas, you flip that and you go to Carlos Quiroz or Ange Postacoglu or Tony Popovich, my guess is when you have that first interaction with them and they sit down, they can be a lot more specific about the information that they require um, and then the ego of what we can all do doesn't get in the way of that. Yeah, that's a great point. And look, I'm fortunate um, Brisbane Roar is one of, one of our clients, so I've had to... Uh, had the opportunity to work with a, a really good young Australian coach in Warren Moon. Yeah. And what I love about Warren is that he's open to feedback. Yeah. And that's really important. No one is expected to know how you want to play the game, but gee, he's been so open, open to feedback and, and will adjust accordingly. At the end of the day, I would give feedback and staff you know that work with me up there would give feedback yeah but it, it's it's the coach's decision at the end of the day but what i like is that he is is open to that mm. um <clears throat> i think one of the things with young coaches coming in 
I, I'm very much if about mentorship, I think is, is imperative. Yeah. Um, like I, I think if, you know, someone like yourself would be a wonderful mentor to uh, a young coach. There, there's no doubt about that. I am pleading with young coaches to leave your ego at the door and to realize that you can really learn off people. Yeah. And, and it mightn't be things about how to play the game. It mightn't be things about that, but you've got someone like a Gary Cole just to say, okay, this is okay. All right. We've had a couple of losses. Have you had a look at this? Or we've had a look at that just to be there to have that conversation throughout history. People have successful people have had mentors. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if we look like if we go way back, you know, Plato had Socrates, <laughs> Aristotle had Plato. It's okay, guys, yeah. to say, oh, I, I learn off someone else. Yeah. That's what we want to do. It's, it's not there. They're, they're not there to take your job. They're there just to be a support. And sometimes you just need that. And what I find, <clears throat> what a young coaches sometimes have is they have inexperienced assistants. Mm inexperienced coach with inexperienced assistance where sometimes you just need a little bit of experience in there just to help everyone yep. uh, everyone along yeah no look i i couldn't agree couldn't agree more there um i was having coffee with um another good friend ernie merrick the other day mm. you know and i don't think ernie expects to coach in the a league again but you I, the conversation that we had was you know w would you be willing with a with a, a young coach and I was sat there thinking, to have someone like Ernie Merrick that's been there, probably made every mistake that a coach could make, has come through the other side. Some of those mistakes will have cost him jobs on the journey, um, but has learned how to maximise the potential in players, can play a great brand of attacking football. To have someone like that as a consultant or a part-time member of staff or just a friend on the end of the phone that can answer some of those questions, um, what, a, what a wonderful gift that that would be. Oh, absolutely. And if you look at Ernie, what a lot of people forget is he had that experience with the youth too, didn't he? At That's VIS right. originally. Right. Yeah. Um, he he actually has a sports science background. Um, and so he brought a lot of that in. He's had incredible experience. I, I'm saddened to think that he thinks he won't coach in the A-League. I hope that's because he doesn't want to. Um, but what a what a fabulous um, person to have there uh, and and just to help help people and there's a number of those people in the game that could really really be very very valuable and yeah. i think we don't put enough emphasis on mentorship no. everyone everyone needs a mentor or everyone needs that challenge network to be there just to ask those questions when it's tough because let's face it the mental health of coaches is a real concern to me yeah no absolutely it, it we've discussed that that particular issue on this podcast a bit the mm. athlete wealth there has been front and center for a, a growing number of years now but we um you just do not hear the mental health of coaches mentioned at all who who cares for the carers essentially you know that's oh. a, such an important part of this isn't it yeah it's something that i've i've, I've had great interest in, in in later this part of part of my career where working with coaches on that and looking after them we started monitoring coaches and staff yeah. because as a consultant you know life life is is quite good you you get to go around to to places and see but the guys on the ground day in day out it's a, it's a tough 
it's a tough role. Yeah. Okay. And they, you know, they bleed for the club. They're the first in, the last out, and that sort of stuff. And if results aren't going their way, it's it's devastating. Uh, so we need to actually do this. So many coaches don't get the the right amount of sleep. Their health isn't good. You and I both know coaches that have had. Uh, mental health issues the number of marriage breakups in high performance sport is incredible you know we need to focus on this but even okay that might okay if you think all right that's nice and warm and fuzzy and gaz and craig are are talking about that okay forget that let's go from a performance perspective Mm. okay if you want your coach to perform to the best have people looking after them because their decision making will not be on point you know if they're not well themselves yeah. if they're not getting physical activity if they're not eating well if they're not sleeping well if you're just talking about performance it'll be compromised if if they're not being looked after yeah no amen love that well you look as i'll go on because i'm very fond of your other favorite sport <laughs> and um and um but basketball you know watching the nba uh you look at that and you go okay like the NBA is is an interesting one because sleep deprivation is a major part of it. Yeah. But then it could come down to the last two minutes where you've got seven or eight timeouts and that's a real coaching, Oh yeah. right? That's high-end coaching. What's your frame? You've got to be, you've got to be, you've got to have tactics during that game to realize, am I going to be right to make clear decisions in the last couple of minutes of that game? Yeah. No, really like that, Craig. You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media for Podcast Professionals. Today's guest is Dr. Craig Duncan, human human performance (laughs) master. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what I was going to call you then, Doc, but (laughs) we got it out in the end. Um, We mentioned mentoring before. Have Mm. you had a mentor in your role? Oh, I think I've had a number of, number of people that I can really go to in yeah. in in respect to how do I how I'm conducting myself, yeah. you know, and and what I'm thinking, you know, about. I've got a, a a network of people like a challenge network that have no problem <laughs> telling me what they what they think of me, yeah. Um, and when I'm on when I'm on point or when I'm not, so. Um, as 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 much as sometimes i i'm very focused on my ego not getting out of control uh i've got great people that you know they they're very happy to happy to tell me uh how how it is so i've got a yeah guys i've got a couple of key people i I really go to and and run things by before i before i go out and do things with the um, the head coaches i've asked them about you know the the mentoring or the learning they've got outside of football from other sports um i don't have to say that because the world of sports science is is huge and there's a there because it's it's i guess begins in in academia as well there's there's a lot of sharing of information so we know that that sharing across sports goes on you're nodding there so i know that you you have or you you are already doing it to be more specific to football how do you go into sports science land and that cavern of information that's available and bring that back and say okay how do we make this specific for football how do we make it specific for football at this club or this national team at this point in time yeah i think uh, that's a really great question Thank um you. so at the university i i work at 
So there, there's an, a number of outstanding academics that mightn't work in sport, but like, so my, um, you know, people that would work with me, like maybe, um, you know, heat is a huge thing. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So I understand the basics of, of a lot of things. But if I want to go to that next level and, you know, with the Australian national team, we're often playing in enormous heat. Mm. Okay, so what do I do? Okay, I go to uh, a specialist that, you know, researches in that area. Okay, what is the best case scenario? I'll run things by him and then he'll come back to me and go, okay, we could look at this, this and this. It's like when we did the trip to Honduras and, you know, you have all the travel and and all that sort of stuff and, and the best way to do it. So I will have the overall goal of what I think needs to be done. But then I go into people that live their life in the circadian rhythm, in sleep, uh, in that, the whole field of chronobiology, um, travel and, and how, to, how to conduct that, you know, uh, time change, humidity, how to, how to work inside that sort of stuff. And then I put it all together and bring it, bring it back. I think I've been successful because I know my uh, limitations. I don't try and do it all. And I have a very good network of people that I'm very happy to go for just to confirm uh, what I want. Like, I'll give you an example. And, you know, my data knowledge is, is, is okay. And, you know, I can get by. But I have a, an expert in maths. Yeah. You know, that, that's all he does in maths. And, and my word to him is, okay, I'm thinking of doing X, Y, and Z. I want you to tell me from a maths perspective, if I got up in front of you, that you wouldn't look at me and laugh. That's what I want. I just don't want to be laughed at. I want to make sure, because I know I can take this any way and put it in front of a, fo- in a football community and they'll yeah. go, oh, that's really cool. But what I want you to tell me is, is this ridiculous? So that's, that's how I work. Yeah. Um, I try and keep things very simple, but I, I surround myself with the best possible people. Um, an interesting one, getting back to basketball, is um, in 2019, I got to spend some great time, you know, viewing what the NBA uh, were doing. And I was watching training one day and they have this thing where, you know, they have multiple coaches where each coach would have three or four players and they would do this thing and they called it their like their daily vitamin they call it their vitamin yeah where different players would focus on different things that were imperative to their game and then that coach was the one that looked after them doing that so it was like a coach inside a team situation i do not understand why that doesn't you know then i tried to think "Ah, this would work perfectly in football you know like you come back and you know you're a striker guys so you're on the coaching staff that you work every day for 10 to 15 minutes with these players on something specific yeah. and then the head coach can go okay guys how are those guys going yeah. or how are those girls going why we do not do this in football i will never know yeah. we we sometimes do it in an ad hoc way okay you go and do extras and you do this but you know in basketball it's very strategic every day there's 10 to 15 minutes with that one coach with that four to five players yeah. and you know what else that does is a lot of players in a 25 person squad can get lost all right because they they don't want to speak to the head coach but if they have these assistants yeah that's their way in and then the assistant works to the head coach so that's an area where i think 100 percent i would 
advise make use of your assistants i don't yeah. really understand why we have so many staff these days and what are they doing <laughs> good, good good question but, i don't know but, no but particularly guys i mean you're a football director so i know you would have been asking those questions mm. but i'd be going hang on um particularly now in the a league where we're looking at costs and that sort of stuff i'm yep. thinking okay where did it go where we had uh, you know the coach and the assistant and the second assistant and the analyst and then the sports scientist and then the strength and conditioning coach rather than looking at this and going okay can i get better you know really top level people or just make use of these people in a better way yeah i'm sorry if that offends anyone out there but i'm i'm looking at it from a business perspective going okay are we getting the biggest bang for our buck with what we're what we're actually putting out there yeah no i, I think that's a i think that's a <clears throat> terrific point and you would you would think that or not think don't have to think covid has an in, has had an impact people have had to trim you know hard to do football um from home via zoom conference albeit a lot of football a lot of the interaction has happened that way but clubs have cut coaches um unfortunately um backroom staff have, have been some of the easiest to get rid of in clubland uh, as mm. we know from assistant coaches to sports scientists and and the works but hopefully that does give us craig a time where you know it enables to reset and people say and you also wonder again then how a club determines we're a successful club we've got more money we can do a whole bunch of things but who who's making the decision on what things are important to this club right now and the way we want to play football because you know for me it becomes about what we want to do now you know mm. you, you worked with Ange on a on a world cup qualifying campaign uh, there were some stats about the number of days etc cetera, etc cetera. and there was the charting of a of an airplane now you go yeah two two <laughs> actually we we did it um from syria uh you know we played syria and i think we we did that from back from Malaysia and then of course the Honduras trip which yeah. was enormous yeah and you go that I can't even begin to imagine what it costs to hire a hire a jet even if Qantas is, a, is one of his sponsors but I'm going to say that's that's a significant investment but I think most people would say you know what for the way we want to play football how important recovery is, is for us to do these things between this time here and the next time we kick off to be it our maximum potential by the time we kick off again then that's a wonderful investment so well yeah and you have to you know you have to pitch that idea and you have to you know to complete reports on that and to say yeah. why and and i'm sure it might have cost a million dollars but you know qualifying for the world cup probably makes you 15 million dollars plus the entire um ramifications for uh, our sport if we didn't make the world cup they're yeah. pretty enormous yeah. so it's it's fortunate we won okay <laughs> amen um let, let's change track again um craig you uh, have experienced a heart attack and i'm going to get this right spontaneous coronary artery dissection which sounds like an artery came apart and started yeah. to bleed inside your body that's mm. obviously a huge thing for you must have been a, an incredible scare you've been through times where um, you know, a coach goes, you go, you lose your job. That's a time when resilience, friends, you know, your mental health, all of that bundles up. Let's call it resilience, uh, whatever mm. way you like. I don't think it's arguable about whether coaches have to develop resilience. Is it learnable? Is it teachable? Is that something that, that 
in your role you've you, you can you think you can help players or not just players but more specifically for this podcast that coaches can develop is it something you're born with is it a muscle that you can grow and develop no i think it's actually something that we can develop and it's about getting the right focus and you and i both share um i mean you know i mean i i'm inspired what you've been through in recent times and um that's you know that's real resilience however when health uh hits you right between the between the eyes i'm sure you'd probably say suggest similar to me what we were really focused on and what was really important to us was our family Absolutely. and making sure that we were healthy for that now in 2000 late 2000 oh no it was early 2013 when this happened i was very unhappy i was at sydney fc yeah. uh, a new coaching regime had come in it was a very difficult time nothing you know uh, i probably didn't handle it right you'd been there you weren't there we were in a, a state of state of flux it was really just an uncomfortable time yeah and uh i remember coming home you know being quite depressed and, and down about the entire situation and you know how it happened and you're right a spontaneous coronary artery dissection is uh when an artery basically um splits yeah. it happened while i was doing bench press and wow. you don't have feelings in your arteries uh, i was very lucky that it wasn't a major artery otherwise i would have just dropped dead yeah. um but you know over the ensuing days not really knowing what it was and like you said i run every day i i kept having a heart attack while i was running and you talk about resilience or just being stupid i would <laughs> i would try and keep running but you know three weeks in hospital um in intensive care and some very frightening nights thinking this is it teaches you more uh is it resilience or more okay let's put this all in perspective yeah and this is what one of my missions in life uh really is is to help people in professional sport or in whatever job they're in is to go okay what's really important for you i think we've lost the balance of life um and particularly in sport we're really passionate about what we do yeah okay and i love you know my life i don't know where it ends and where it starts between work and life so i i actually talk about life balance rather than work life balance yeah, I like that. but um yeah, I, I think that I actually wrote something on that once. I, I don't think, you know, Socrates stood around going, oh, did I have work-life balance? We didn't even know what sort of job we had. And but, and that's the case in football, but when are you switching off? Yeah. When are you focusing? When are you present? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think one of the things that you find, and you'd know this from, from you know, your, your career, and coaches would know this, are you sitting at home with your kids thinking about the game on Saturday, you know, or are you thinking about what happened to training? And I, I've got this new idea. I keep saying to myself, wherever you are, be there. Yeah. Yeah. No, because like if you're not going to be there, go back to the office and waste time. Yeah. You know, be where you are and be present with people that you're in because I can guarantee you now. Okay. Oh, and, and I'll tell you this situation. When I had my heart attacks at Sydney FC, um, life goes on you might think you're really important <laughs> but life really go and uh and you know the 
I think the club were very kind to me, but at the end of the day, I think it was Terry McFlynn, of course, because he's one of the best men in the world, came and visited me in hospital, yeah. um, and Dave Mason, and 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 that was it. And, you know, they're, they're friends to to this day. Yeah. But really, the others had life to go on. Yeah. Everyone's replaceable. Of course. You know, so it's not worth killing yourself over. Yeah. We're, you know, and and I think as a coach, you need to keep that in perspective. Um, and you'll be a better coach for it. Yeah, no. I'm not. I'm not saying don't be passionate about what you do, but the more balanced you are as a human, yeah, um, the better you'll be as a as a coach. If you look at the great coaches throughout history, um, <clears throat> the really great coaches, and there's a lot you can read about, you know, um, in the states, you yeah. know, because a lot of those those coaches from the U.S. They come from high school coaching, real coaching, you know, into maybe college and then into the professionals. These people are much more than just a technical coach. Yeah. Um, I, w- I would advocate anyone to to go and read some of the history, like of John Wooden, yeah. who was, you know, voted the the greatest basketball coach of of last century, and just read the the guy was a philosopher. Yeah, you know, um, and you can learn so much about that from coaching. Please don't get so narrow focused on football um because i think there's actually a lot of sports that might do coaching better so craig what then is coaching i think coaching is leadership and i i think really okay it's if i think the outcome from coaching what you should look for is to think Okay, every person that comes under my um, my regime is I'm going to enhance them so that they get as close as possible to maximizing their potential. End of story. Yeah. That they come in, that they leave after they've had an experience with me, a better person and ultimately a better player. But you know what? A better person is maybe more important. And that might, I don't care if it's uh, children's football, uh, adolescent football, and I don't care if that's professional football or you're working with national teams. Better people will be better players. And so I think that's what coaching is. It's leadership. And, uh, you know, the, the coaches that have that mindset, they're the ones that are remembered for a long, long time. Mm. You look at Carlos Quiros, you've got a whole nation that still adores him. Yeah still adores him that that long for him to come back because of the impact he had on their lives yeah that's what it is you know what impact are you having on the lives of the people that you're involved with now yeah because i can tell you it's not all about winning okay it's what impact and long-term impact you're having on life like guys can you name a coach that had an impact on your life and i'm sure they they're very close in your heart oh absolutely it's just the way it goes um mm-hmm you from what they what you learn from them about the game but before any of that it's all about the relationship that they developed um the love the trust the care um how they help you grow and develop they're the people that stand in our you know in our minds um ronnie smith for me was a and Mm. still is you know a very very close friend but but he played an enormous part in my life my role as a coach and the learning and and you know i i couldn't agree uh, more with you there can i just say something on ronnie smith ronnie smith is a fantastic example because do you know what 
you, you can't find a person that would say anything negative about Ronnie Smith. So what a life that is. That Ronnie <laughs> Smith, no, but Ronnie Ronnie Smith, and, and another one we could throw in there is a Tom Samani. Absolutely. You just, you know, when you see them, you just smile. Yep. So, so that is a life because I think we all get to the end of life and we will ask ourselves the question, did I live a good life? Absolutely. And they would laugh their heads off if I said this. But Tommy Samani and Ronnie Smith, would sit there and go, you know what, friggin' hell, I made the world a better place. And there, and if you get five minutes with a Ronnie Smith or a Tom Simone, your life is going to be better. Yep. So that's how you want to be remembered. You might be another coach that won championships, but, you know, players don't remember you fondly. Yeah. You mightn't have treated everyone with respect and that sort of stuff because at the end of the life, I think that's what we're going to ask ourselves. Happier players are always better players. Yeah, and I, the other thing that gets me about coaching, guess, I've got to say this, and, and this happens at the professional level, and you would have been around many tables that I've been around where I, I feel like saying, and it would be out of place, and I'd never, I try not to ever be too out of place in environments going, hang on, I don't really get what you're saying that the player's rubbish. Because it, are you then in turn saying you're rubbish? because you aren't you a coach mm. and isn't a coach to make people better but you're telling me they're no good oh but then again you signed them <laughs> but they're no good yeah. so so think about that coaches when you're talking like that and think okay it doesn't matter who it is my 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 job is to try and make them the best if they don't fit into your playing style and all that sort of stuff that's a different matter yeah but i think i think we owe humans to be treating treated with the respect no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Dr. Craig, we're on the downhill run here. I'm fairly, know, I'm fairly sure I know what the answer to this question is going to be. So then, for you, what does success look like? Oh, you know, to be honest, really, success for me would be that my family and the people around me, you know, said that, you know, I... I help make their world a better place and a story you know that that's it i keep asking myself are you making the world a better place or this conversation did you make it better or worse but that would be it it would be what legacy i leave uh, particularly for my my children and my wife and yeah. um you know my family and then uh friends friends around that but that's that's very there's no point winning the world guys if i lose my if I lose my family, no point at all. And uh, so that's what success is for me. Um, being the best I, best I can be, I, I, um, that, that, that's it. It's not winning championships or, or anything because that's a journey. Yeah. Doing the best, you know, along the journey, the game will take care of itself. It's all that journey. Have, have I done everything? It's, yeah. it's like we go back to that Honduras. I remember you know it was it was such a wonderful effort by all involved and the logistics of it but there was a moment in Honduras because there was a you know there was a, a lot on me from a sports science perspective and I said to myself and, and Ange just just wonderful like really made me feel that he had my uh his trust but I did say to myself hey mate you better have this bloody well right there's a bit like you know riding on this <laughs> But I knew I went back and I'd worked months at every intricate little detail. So yes, 
nil-nil at halftime at ANZ Stadium and we score three second-half goals, you'd go, okay, what a great uh, effort and what a great thing from a sports science perspective. And, you know, you're, this, this all worked out perfectly. Yeah. However, I didn't need that result. Well, I did. I, you know, if I'm <laughs> honest, it was great for us after a combination of a lot of work and Absolutely. for Ange. But, but the thing was, I knew at the start of that game that we'd done everything we possibly could. And that wasn't just me. It was the staff that I was working with, was Les Gellis and his staff. It was uh, Luke Cassidy and all those guys, the, the senior management, and of course, Ange and all his coaching staff, Pete Klamowski and Ante and Tony, Fra- all, every person involved and the players involved and all that sort of stuff. So the journey, we'd done our very, very best. The outcome I can't control. Yeah. yeah. No, I like that. I, I love the, the the legacy piece and the work you're doing to help other people. I, in doing the research here, um, I bought um, Rebecca your book. You're now an author. You've got you've got your own website. You're a content creator of some renown in terms of Twitter, Instagram. You're putting positive message up on a daily basis. Um, it, I write them to me, by the way. That, that, <laughs> that, those messages are to me. So because if I put it out there and I act like a jerk, people are going to go, "You're full of it." So I, it's a, it's a good way of controlling myself. Yeah, I did say we called you the mad professor from time to time. So, <laughs> Craig, all, all of that work is is obviously you're a professional. You're now a consultant in this high performance field, and and obviously a part of that is is making that bit work. But there's no doubt to me that you're living that legacy. You're coming through that. There, there is. You're a consultant. You're in business. You, you know, we all need to to make a living and make a buck. But so much of that is free for people. You've you, uh, the last time I checked, I think you had 166 episodes on the first of your podcast. You've now got a new podcast with uh, with Andy Harper that's up to four episodes old. There is so much that you're doing and giving back, investing back into the game. That's a wonderful, wonderful credit to you. So, so well done, mate. Congratulations and keep that up. Uh, thanks, guys. I mean, it's it's just enjoyable, and um, I'm glad you mentioned Rebecca Cole because uh, you know what an athlete. I mean, there's a, you know, I've got a big soft spot for these you know Olympic athletes um, in these sports that are, are big worldwide sports, and uh, and Rebecca Cole is some athlete that you're not going to actually say because she's your daughter, but uh, but I think you know. Um, the, there's a lot of athletes that we can learn a lot from that I would love football players to maybe learn from and to see the sacrifices mm. that these athletes do. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot we can learn from those. Has she read the book? That's what that, that's <laughs> a, I, I actually it dawned on me. I, I haven't asked the doc. She was she took it away into the hub, uh, and obviously, yes, I remember S- she South, told me yeah. Southside Flyers went on to win their first uh, championship. Um, mm. But I, I didn't. Act, we haven't had the conversation. Um, one of the things I do, I do gift book give gift books a bit, but I don't gift them with an expectation that anyone's going to read them, gain any great <laughs> wisdom from them. I I just normally share things that from from things that I've loved and read and go, this is, hey, there's a blessing in here somewhere. So let's bless people. I think, I think, I think, can I just say one thing? I think coaches as well, please. Um, And Gaz and I, I mean, you you guys, we we could do this. Like uh, you could do it actually, a list of of, of really good books that you've read. I I think reading far and wide uh, will help you as a football coach. Um, Ange, I mean, Ange was so well read. And uh, and I think that, that really enhances your coaching. 
Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. That's a good question. So what are you reading right now, Craig, Duncan? Um, I've probably got a, uh, over on my, my thing, uh, my book stand over there, I've probably got about four books um, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> looking at. Um, um, one that I'm reading about is the like a biography of uh, Leonardo uh, da Vinci. Yeah, um, which I find uh, fascinating. Looking at you know, we think of him as just a painter, but he was an anatomist, and yeah. there was a, a number of things that he was doing. I'm also in the midst of uh, I, I read Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. Uh, I tend to read that once a, once a year, yeah. and then then I have all my philosophy stuff that I I, I constantly uh, I constantly like to read. So. Yeah, but they're the, they're the things I'm looking at at yeah. the moment. <clears throat> Love Stephen Covey's work. I've got a, um, a great piece of philosophy to read. It's just arrived this week. Um, Andy, uh, Andy Banal's story, um, oh, bi- yes. biography. Um, I heard him talk about it. I'm really, really looking forward to that. What, what an incredible journey Birchie's had uh, through football, um, yes. both playing and, and, and the other side of it. All, and right. all the best to him with it. With yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Let, let's wrap this up then. Craig, yeah. you. This is a um, a podcast about coaching. You're unique in that you're the first um, human performance manager scientist on that we've ever had on. In in terms of all of those young sports scientists, human performance managers that are out there that want to want to make that journey or are beginning on their journey, what's one piece of wisdom that you could leave them with? Uh, I think find yourself a really good mentor, uh, and never don't chase the dollars. You know, do uh, I always say to to people in this field, find out how much you need to live. That's okay. Go and make that money somewhere, wherever wherever it is, and then find a good mentor and then go on and learn from them. I it would be remiss of me not to talk about Jim Fraser. You know, uh, yeah. because I I I did a, spend a lot of time with Jim Fraser, um, in, oh, probably 15, 16, 17 years back, just learning from him. I would turn up, you know, three, four days a week and he got me back to training as a goalkeeper and nearly killed me. But, um, <laughs> you know, just, just what I learned from him back in those days and all, that was just all off my own. I, I sculpted out time to go and do that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the best advice. You know, people talk about, oh, these unpaid internships are negative. No, they're not. If they're with the right people. Absolutely. If you can find the right mentor in the right place, and don't think you've got to go and do a professional team. So the fact is, if you go and help in a professional team, you might be picking up cones. If you work for the under 15s or the under 13s at an NPL club, you could have that entire team to work with and you're going to learn your trade. You know, you've got to learn how to conduct yourself around players, how to manage a group, you know, all those basic things to learn, to learn the language and the culture of football. And so I, I'm a big believer in, you know, go and, go and do your time at places. It takes time. Things don't happen overnight. But find yourself good mentors. Um, I'm always open, you know, give me a call if you want any advice. There's, there's no problem with that, um, uh, anyone. But, uh, yeah, that's what I, my advice to any young sports scientists. Never mind about sports science, but Ralph Barber and, and I are both giving you a call this week. You have, <laughs> you have helped us maximise our potential today. Thank you, Dr. Craig Duncan. It's been an absolute honour and a privilege to have your conversation today, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thanks always. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to the Football Coaching Life, podcast brought to you proudly by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media the Podcast Professionals. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Dr. Craig, 
um, pop on over to footballcoachesoz.org.au. You can buy a membership, you can renew a membership. Hey, you can have a look at our new website and maybe learn some things. You have a great day in football. Mm-hmm.